Well, if you have your uh, worship guide, please turn it to page 9, or if you'd like to use your Bible, we're in uh, Genesis 2.18, not Genesis 3.18. Totally different. Uh, the passage in the worship guide is correct. Uh, I just wrote the the address wrong. So it says Genesis 3.18, but it's... If you would, let's, we'll read this together, and if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to start a little ahead with verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man... You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. In verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord had caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the piece with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word uh, never goes out and returns to you empty, but always accomplishes its purposes. Lord, thank you that your word is a double-edged sword that cuts and heals, performing surgery on our sin-sick hearts. Lord, we thank you that your word is eternal, It comes from you, a God who never changes. And Lord, we thank you that your living word is embodied in Jesus Christ, our man, our Adam, our husband, and our Savior. Lord, would you speak to us now in this time, in Jesus' name and for his sake, amen. You guys can be seated. Okay, so uh, we haven't done this in a while. Sometimes it just happens on its own, but I'd love to encourage it today. Kids, you who are with us and grown-up kids, uh, we're going to cover a lot of things in our sermon today. We're going to cover when God created woman for the first time. We're going to cover Adam giving names to the animals. We're going to cover what it means to be man and woman together. And... 
I would invite you to draw what you hear me teaching as you see fit, however you want to do it. And then after church, uh, I would love to see what you've drawn. Okay? Kids, grown-ups, anyone with a childlike heart, drawing is encouraged today. Uh, so just as a quick review, we are going through Genesis 1 through 3, the beginning section of the, of the Scriptures, the beginning section of the Pentateuch, of the book of Genesis, and we are going through taking a slow hike. We are taking our time, uh, stopping, looking at the view, picking things up, considering it from every angle. There is so much uh, fundamental truth and theology and goodness in these three chapters, and so we are going super slow. So we have gotten as far as Genesis uh, as this passage here in Genesis 2.18. And just as a reminder, Genesis 2 as a whole, except for like the first four verses, but most of Genesis 2 is like a zoomed-in retelling of what happened on the sixth day. You guys remember on the sixth day, uh, that's when God created people. It says that he created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That's day six. So chapter one tells what happens over the six days where God is preparing the land for the people. And then chapter two zooms in on day six. That's what we're seeing. So last Sunday, we took the first part of chapter two, and we talked about how God created the first man, who we call Adam. And we learned that... Um, we learned that that Adam, well, let me back up. We learned that God had created mankind, male and female, in his image, and that he had a job for them to do. They were to be like priests in his kingdom. But we learned that Adam in particular was kind of a high priest. He had a special role. He was a representative for all of humanity, uh, everyone who was there with him at the time, which in the book, that's one other person, and anyone who would come after him, all of humanity that would ever exist, Adam was named a high priest in this garden that was like a temple. And we learned that uh, God had given Adam uh, a priestly work to do, a work of obedience that he had put before him. You can eat from any tree, just don't eat from this tree. And if Adam would have obeyed, then Adam... And all of humanity that he represented would have gone to join God in his seventh-day Sabbath rest. Now, reading these passages is sort of like watching the movie Titanic. We all know how it's going to end. Adam is not going to be successful in his priestly work. But we don't want to rush to that yet. We want to, just like in Titanic, we want to enjoy this part of the story. So last week we have Adam here in this temple garden uh, as a human being, he, he's a priest, but God gave him a specific role as a high priest. And he was unique in that. That's what we learned last week. Well, this week starts with a very strange statement. It starts with the statement that it is not good for man to be alone. That's verse 18. Now, as we've been hiking slowly through this passage, and we have read six times thus far that God did something and it was good. God did something else and it was good. God did this other thing and it was good. 
Six times, over and over again, we are hearing the phrase, and it was good. And then we get to this verse 18 of chapter 2, this zoom-in picture of day 6, and the words, it is not good, should ring in our ears. It should be, okay, everything stop, hold on. (laughs) It should wake us up. Now, isn't it amazing that here in this pre-lapsarian, which is the fancy theological word for before the fall, before sin entered the world, here in this garden world, this temple, uh, Eden world, where there's no sin yet, humanity has not rebelled against God. Isn't it amazing that something can be not good? That tells us something. That tells us that goodness is more than just an absence of sin. Goodness is a thing in and of itself that's to be desired. And even though God had made this human being to look like him and given him this special role, this priestly role, it still wasn't good because he was alone. But So that's amazing. Another amazing thing is that God lets Adam figure out that it's not good all on his own. He lets Adam figure it out by himself. God tells Adam, you know, he to uh, give names to all the animals. Now, we don't know exactly how this happened, but I would imagine that, um, you know, it says that God made Adam out of the dust of the ground. It says here that God had also made the animals out of the dust of the ground. Adam and the animals had this thing in common. He was made in God's image. The animals weren't, but they were still dust creatures together. And I imagine Adam maybe was standing there in the garden. And kids, this might be good good material for your picture. Just saying. He was standing there in the garden, and here comes Mr. Elephant coming along. And Adam goes, hmm, what shall I name him? Oh, wait. Who's that? And here around the corner comes Mrs. Elephant. Two together, and Adam goes, huh, just one of me, two of them, that's weird. I'll call you Mr. and Mrs. Elephant, and then they go on, and then here comes Mr. Jaguar. And then Adam goes, huh, who, Mrs. Jaguar, there's just one of me, here's two of them. And I imagine that animal after animal after animal that Adam names, doing his good priestly work, you know, ruling and forming and all that stuff. I, I wonder how many animals went by before it officially dawned on him that something was off. Uh, the math isn't right here. I believe that one of the reasons God had Adam name the animals is to Let Adam figure out for himself something was off. So it's not good for man to be alone. God puts Adam to sleep, and God creates another human being, another image bearer, male and female. In his image, he created them. He creates woman from Adam's rib. When I was a kid, I used to think maybe 
my, my, I think my older sister told me this and I actually had never gone back to research this until this week. So if you would have asked me last week, I would have said maybe it was true. And I'm embarrassed to tell you that, but I gotta be humble. Uh, I was taught early on that men have one less rib than women because of this story. Were, were you taught that? And I remember counting and feeling and, hmm. God creates woman out of Adam's rib while he's asleep and then he wakes up. And remember, he's been naming animals all day. He wakes up and look at verse 23. He says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. All these other animals, Mr. and Mrs. Elephant, Mr. and Mrs. Jaguar, even me came from the dust of the ground. But this person, she came from right here. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be just an observer on this day six? It would have been incredible. And then there they are. Together. God marries them, and there they are, without shame, naked, no shame. Can you imagine what it would have been like to live without shame? I have no idea what that's like. If you're like me, I think most of us have carried around a little shame since day one. But here, shameless. So, that's the story. The big question for today, the big question for our sermon is what are we supposed to learn from this? What are we supposed to learn from this uh, prototypical man who was ordained as the high priest and then the prototypical woman who was joining him in the work? What, what are we supposed to learn? How, how, what are we supposed to do? Is this just a story for drawing pictures, even though it's an awesome one, which we're going to find out after the service, hopefully? But is, is there something else here? Is there something that we as the church, as God's people, are supposed to take from this story into our own lives, our own relationships, to form and fill us and help us to be more like Jesus? What is it? What are we supposed to learn? And, and I, I really believe that there is something for us to learn. In fact, there's a, there's a lot of things. But the thing I want to draw out today, the thing I want to show you, we can summarize it with one word. And if you're a sermon note-taker, this would be a good word to write down. The word is mutualism. What are we supposed to learn from this story? We are supposed to learn mutualism. And then if we want to get more exact, more specific, we are supposed to learn mutualism in Christ. Okay, so if... If you want, if you can't listen to the whole sermon and you need to, you need to go or something, now would be a good time because that's the big idea. That's, that's the kicker. It's been unveiled. Um, but the rest of this time, I, I want to tell you what I mean by that. What do I mean by mutualism in Christ? That that's the thing we're supposed to hold on to. We're supposed to grab from this story. Well, I have two things. Um, first, God created men and women for mutual Dependence. The, the big idea of this story for us is mutualism in Christ. And what's drilling down specific, we learn here that God created men and women for mutual dependence. 
I love the way this story starts. The thing we've been talking about. It is not good for man to be alone. I will create a helper suitable for him. Mutual dependence between man and woman. The prototypes. So even for us, mutual dependence. God had given Adam a job to do. The work of the high priest. Remember? Adam was, he was ordained. Adam, you obey, choose life or choose death. Tree of knowledge of good and evil, that's death. Uh, obedience that leads to the tree of life and Sabbath rest, that's life. You choose. And all of humanity will follow. And Adam stood alone in that work. But that was not the only thing that God had called Adam to do. That was not his only job. Adam had his priestly hat, if you will, whereas the what we call the federal head of all of humanity, he was to obey or disobey, and consequences would follow for the whole world. He had his priestly hat. But Adam wasn't only a priest. He was also a man, an image-bearing human being. And if we remember back in chapter 1, which God, this this little, well, I'll just, if we remember back in chapter 1, when we first get a glimpse into the creation of humanity, the first account, the first story of God making people, it said that God created mankind in his image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God had given people in general, every human being, he had given them a charge, what we call today the creation mandate. To be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. Remember this? Remember how during the six days God had formed and filled the land and then he creates people in his image to look like him and he tells them, now you do this work of forming and filling. Be fruitful, multiply, rule over the, rule over the world. The idea that all that ruling and multiplying would end with God and the Sabbath rest. So here in Genesis, that's Genesis 1. Now in Genesis 2, we see Adam created first, given the high priestly role, but it's not good because the high priestly role isn't the only thing Adam is supposed to do. In fact, before Adam could ever be a priest, he has to be a human being, right? So, even though this priestly work, God had ordained only one, Even below that, at the foundation, what Adam was called to do, he could never, ever, ever, ever do alone. Adam couldn't multiply. That's pretty obvious. But Adam couldn't even form and fill and rule. Not by himself. So it was not good. God created Adam to be dependent on his partner, the woman. 
Without her, he could never fulfill his obligation as a human being to fill the earth, to multiply, to live, and to rule. He could never do it. Without being a human being, he could never be the high priest. So everything was dependent for Adam on there being another person, someone like him, flesh of his flesh, bone of his bones, but different than him. That together they could carry out this work. God created the prototypical man to be dependent on the woman. And in the same way, God created this prototypical woman dependent on the man. He doesn't create her from the dust. He creates her from his side. Adam says she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This is before sin, remember. This is before decay. This is before domination and destruction. He is dependent on her. And she is dependent on him. In the early church, well, if, if you notice, I had asked, we had a scripture reading for today. We always have two readings. One is the focus for the sermon text and one sort of complements the sermon text. And there was another text in the bulletin. That's because I thought we were going to be able to cover much more today and we'll, we'll get to that in coming weeks. Uh, so we switched at the last minute and Charity read from 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11 is a hard passage. That's one of those passages that talks about things that are very foreign to us culturally, like women wearing head coverings and men can't have long hair and things like that. It's one of those passages that uh, preachers like to skip. Uh, definitely don't put it in a reading where we're not going to have time to explain it. But I wanted to read it because it tells, gives us a little look at Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Now, in the early church, it was before everyone had access to the complete scriptures. It was before God's written word was readily available to the churches. In fact, the canon of scripture wasn't even complete yet. And during this time, before the church had access to the complete canon of scriptures, God, just like he did in the Old Testament, just like he had been doing with his people since the beginning. God used prophets, men and women, with prophetic gifting and prophetic calling. He put them in local churches in order to deliver his word in the worship service. Now we know from the letter to the first Corinthians that one of the problems in the Corinthian church is that they were so excited about the new freedom that they had in Christ that they just that they just started living free, uh, but according to their own personal interpretations of freedom, they just forgot about everybody else. We we read all kinds of things in Corinthians about how the people just they, they got a little carried away with their freedom, and they, the things got super weird. Well, Paul in his letter he writes to the church in Corinth, and he says, essentially, if I could put it in my own words, uh, "Hey, men and women, prophets." You're doing great. But remember that delivering the word of the Lord and the gathering is a really big deal. So don't let your freedom in Christ carry you away to do something that would detract from your role as prophets. 
In the first century in Corinth, many places across the Greco-Roman world, and even today in the Near East, uh, culturally, uh, for a man to have long hair or for women to let their head be uncovered in public signals, just to be frank, uh, sexual availability. It was a cultural signal. If a man walks in with long flowing hair, it was like saying, it was like, almost like going on Twitter and saying, uh, hey guys, or ladies, or whoever, I am available, come and get me. It's a cultural thing. Same with women. If they took off their head covering in public, people were like, whoa. Because it was like she was saying, I'm available. Now in Christ, we know that the men and the women were free. Today, many of us, many dudes have long hairs, living for Jesus and honoring him. I don't see a single woman with their head covered here. That's because this is not part of our culture. So Paul tells the Corinthian prophets, the men and women, when you get up to prophesy in the assembly, ladies, cover your head. Dudes, keep your hair short. Because that way it doesn't detract from what you are called to do as prophets. And by the way, since we're talking about this thing, about you guys getting up in front of everybody, delivering the word that's happened for generations of God's people, since we're talking about it, there's this cultural thing about sexuality, since we're in it, let me be clear. And then he says this wonderful thing we find in 1 Corinthians 11 and 11 through 12. He says, in the Lord, which means in Christ, the woman is not independent from man. And the man is not independent from woman. For as woman came from man, so also man was born of woman. And everything comes from God. He's telling them, dudes, You can't walk in there with your long flowing hair and act like the effect that this has on other people culturally isn't your responsibility. Go get a haircut. Women, cover your head. We want to hear your words that you are proclaiming, your prophetic. We want your gifting to be used. We want the Lord to do ministry through you. Only your freedom in Christ Don't let these cultural matters get in the way of what God is calling you to do for the edification of his people. Because, women, you are not independent from men. You need men. Men, you are not independent from women. You need them. And in the Lord, in Christ, mutual dependence is what the relationship between men and women looks like. Just like before sin entered the world, God created man and woman to be dependent on each other. Now in Christ, when sin has been put away once and for all by the death and resurrection of Jesus, just like before, men and women, dependence. We need each other. And no cultural matter, no matter of gifting, Our ministry, as we have learned to practice it, should get in the way of our dependence because our dependence exists in the Lord. Folks, there is a false teaching 
That's a strong words when the preacher says false teaching. There's a false teaching that's held in the church for far too long. And it's the teaching that the work of Christian ministry in the church is a man's work. And the women should stay out of the way. Folks, that is a lie. In the Lord, man is not independent from woman. And woman is not independent from man. We were created in such a way that in order to actually do the things that God has called us to do as human beings, we must do it in fellowship and mutual dependence with one another. So that's the first thing, this mutualism in Christ, dependence. Here's the second thing, equality. Men and women were created for mutual equality in the Lord. Verse 18 says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. A few years ago, we were living off of East Burnside near 148th. We had this uh, little place and we were, uh, we built a fence around the, our little, yard around our house because just beyond our front yard was the sidewalk and then the bike lane and then one lane of traffic where people went really fast on Burnside and then the max. It was like danger, danger, danger. And we didn't want our dog to get out. So we we built a fence and the, we had a guy come and help us build the fence, but he didn't build the most important part of the fence, which was the gate that closed over the driveway so we can get the car in and out. So I called my buddy Kellen who is a contractor, who can build anything. I said, Kellen, uh, I, I, I went and bought a gate kit, but I, I need help building the gate. I, I have no, if you, you guys probably know this, uh, I'm terrible at things like building things. I'm a terrible tech person. So I call Kellen. He said, okay. So Kellen comes, comes over. We have the lumber. We have the gate kit. And I was there to build the gate with Kellen. And I assumed the role of Kellen's little helper because I barely know how to use a hammer. And it doesn't matter how many times you can teach me, the gate's not going to be straight. It's not going to open right. So Kellen and I did the work together, which meant Kellen did everything. And I was in control of the music and the food and being hospitable because I was his little helper. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Folks, when the Bible says helper here, I thought for years it meant what I did when Kellen built the fence. That's not what it means. The Hebrew word there is etzer. If we... Spelled it using English letters as E-Z-E-R. It doesn't mean second. It doesn't mean little buddy. It doesn't mean waiter or waitress. It means a helper who comes in strength and in power. We find this word used all throughout the Old Testament and a huge percentage of the amount of time it's used of God himself. God is not second in command to anybody, but he is a etzer. In fact, my favorite place where this is used is in Psalm 121. This comes from the Psalms of Ascent. These were 
psalms that were written for pilgrims that were going to Jerusalem to worship, and they had to travel up to the Mount of Jerusalem. And 121 in particular, it's, it's become a very famous psalm. It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? Where does my etzer come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is a song for the traveler on the road that was dangerous and the the pilgrims going to Jerusalem, they were vulnerable to attack. They were vulnerable to robbers, especially in the dark days in the land of Judah, just before the time of the exile when it was dangerous to be out on your own. Or maybe during the time of the judges, somebody, you know, going up to worship at Shiloh is dangerous. So here goes the traveler on the road singing the song where they're afraid of danger. I lift my eyes to the hills. That's where the temple is. Where is my help going to come from? My help comes from the Lord. And he is the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He watches over you. He doesn't sleep. The Lord is the shade in your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon and night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. Watch over your life. He will watch over your coming and your going. This is what it means biblically to be an etzer, and a helper who comes in strength in a time of need. I will make a helper who comes alongside in strength suitable for him. Suitable for him. That Hebrew word is konegdo. Don't quote my pronunciation on this. Konegdo. It's only used here in the Bible. It's only used here in this verse, Genesis 2.18. So it's hard for us to get anything really about its meaning from the, the Old Testament text, but it is used over and over and over again in the Mishnah the early Hebrew Jewish commentary on the Hebrew Scriptures. And in the Mishnah, it means suitable, but suitable as an equal. A helper who comes in strength who is equal. Remember, here comes Mr. Elephant, now here comes another. Here comes Mr. Jaguar, here comes another. Oh, I'm getting, whoo, I'm getting tired and I wake up. Now, this is flesh of my flesh, bone of my bones. Here she is. It's not good for man to be alone because he could never do the thing God had called him to do. So God brings a helper who comes in strength, who is like he is. It's like Adam was standing there speaking in the third person and says, look, she's one of us. <laughs> I love the image in uh, uh, the, 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 the Lord of the Rings, the two, two towers, that, the middle book, the middle movie. The movie depicts this scene um, wonderfully where you remember the big battle at Helm's Deep and the armies and the men of Gondor are under attack from the orcs. And they're fighting and they're fighting and they're fighting. And you have, uh, I can't remember, is it Mary or Pippin that fought for Gondor? I think it was Mary. And then you had Gimli 
It was Pippin? It's Pippin. They're fighting in the, it was Mary? One of the hobbits. They're losing the battle. It's almost, they're almost defeated. And then you remember what happens? Here comes this light shining from the west. And it's Gandalf and the riders of Rohan coming in strength. People from our party, look, it's one of us. That's what this text says about woman. So God created us for mutual dependence, but also a mutual equality. God created mankind in his image, male and female. He created them in his image. He created them. And he said, people, men and women, be fruitful, multiply, rule over the earth and fill it and subdue it. Do your thing together in dependence and in equity. I love the Puritan Matthew Henry, 17th century Presbyterian minister in England. He writes this, he says, The woman was made out of the rib of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near to his heart and to be beloved. So this is why in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that man is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. That doesn't mean that she is not created in God's image. The first chapter of the Bible says that she was. But what it does mean is that she is double the glory, glory and dust twice refined. God makes the man from the dust to look like him, to do what he does. And then he makes the woman from Adam to look like him and to do what he does, to look like God and do what God does, just as the man does. But she doesn't come from dust. She comes from the side so that there will be no question about her worth. Glory twice refined. Now, folks, this is not the world that we see around us. I will save you the trouble of standing here and trying to convince you that we have been lost and battered by a war between the sexes that has lasted way too long, and our churches have been very often the front lines. I think that we know that. And just like we know the end of how the story of Titanic finishes, I never even finished the movie. We know how it ends. We know how this story ends. And Adam the man and Eve the woman could not go on living together according to God's design for them because Adam in his high priestly role failed. He blew it. And since that day, Men and women have not been or sought to not be dependent on each other, sought to declare independence from each other, and we have not been equal in so many spheres. We'll skip ahead and read the famous passage we'll get to in the coming weeks where God says, Oh my gosh, it's going away. Verse 16, God says to the woman, this is after the fall, 
Your desire will be from your for your husband, and he will rule over you. God's prophecy on what it would be like. But folks, the good news and the gospel is where Adam failed in his high priestly work. Failing as a high priest for humanity to bring humanity where they needed to be. Where he failed as a priest, Jesus did not fail. Jesus was successful. Folks, did you know that Jesus died on a cross and rose from the grave to forgive you of your sins and to free you from the curse of sin that has covered the world? Did you know that he died and rose to reconcile you to God, but also to reconcile you to one another? This means men, Jesus rose from the dead to reconcile you to the women in your life. Women, Jesus died and rose from the dead to reconcile you to the men in your life. This means that men, you no longer stand alone. And this means that women, in Christ, your subjugation is over. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians, he says, In Christ there is no Jew or Greek. In Christ there is no slave or free. In Christ there is no male or female. All is one in Christ. Reconciled. Together. Man and woman. To live in mutualism. Mutual dependence. Mutual equity. And mutual image bearing. Mutual obedience. Mutual worship. Mutual glory. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, it says that, let me read it word for word because I don't want to mess it up. It says that the head of every man is Christ and the head of woman is man and the head of Christ is God. As Christ's, as Christ came from the Father eternally, from Him, it stands equal to Him in power and in glory and in worth. In the same way, as woman came from man, not to be subordinate, but to be equal in power and in glory and in worth. Praise the Lord. And may God help us as a church to be a place where this mutualism is lived out to the glory of God the Father, to the glory of Jesus, and to the glory of the Holy Spirit who has filled us and set us free from the curse. We can never go back to the garden, but praise Jesus that in his death and resurrection, in the sending of his Spirit, he has invited us into something greater, his Sabbath rest. For we reign as priests before the Lord under our high priest Jesus for all eternity together. Let's pray.